In the name of Jesus, amen. That sounds like me. That sounds really wonderful. And how can that happen? That is, in a nutshell, my response to the three readings, three readings that seem to fit together a little better than they they sometimes do. My response to the three readings for this week, that sounds like me, that sounds really wonderful, and how can that happen? Uh, First, that that sounds like me, uh, and that's my response to both the first, our Old Testament reading from Numbers and our Gospel lesson, uh, Jesus' words and the, the events there from the Gospel of Mark. Now, in the Old Testament reading, there's, uh, there's plenty of stuff that sounds very much uh, us-like. There's uh, longing for the good old days that were not actually so good. There's, the, uh, there's looking for a, a scapegoat. Uh, there's Moses whining like a little baby that the people that God has given him to love tend to whine like little babies. <laughs> Lots of stuff that we could find uh, images of ourselves in if we uh, had uh, the humility to do so. Uh, But the thing in particular that uh, I'm responding to is that uh, odd events at the end. Uh, These these two fellows, uh, Eldad and Medad, uh, interesting names those, Eldad and Medad, uh, getting in trouble or seemingly doing something out of the ordinary by prophesying in the camp. Um, I'm not exactly sure uh, why that was wrong or what was going on there, but evidently, and this is the thing that I latched on to, Joshua, Joshua thought that there was enough wrong with it, that he felt the need to come running to Jesus, surely, hands up, oh my goodness, G, or Moses, sorry, oh my goodness, Moses, can you believe that Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp? The gospel lesson I'm sure it's why these two are hooked up today. There's something similar. The disciples coming to Jesus, arms up, surely, with their own. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, Jesus. Can you believe that there is some guy uh, uh, exercising demons and in the process, surely transforming someone's life and probably his whole family for the better? But leave that aside. Can you believe, Jesus, that there is someone in your name casting out demons Without a permit. Yeah. H.L. Mencken famously and humorously defined Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, may be happy. (laughs) Famously, somewhat humorously, and also bitingly, when we recognize that there's a fair bit of that Puritan In all of us, the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, is getting away with something. And then the positive glee that comes over us when we have the opportunity to call said someone on something. And so Joshua, I don't know if what the dad brothers did was uh, uh, not wrong at all, or a little bit wrong, or maybe a lot wrong, But whatever it was, for Moses' money, it was not nearly as wrong as the glee which Joshua got in coming and turning them in. Joshua, are you jealous for me? Are you jealous for yourself? Are you jealous for the Lord? Wouldn't it be cool, Joshua, if everybody did that? Same with the disciples. 
I have no idea whether unlicensed exorcisms are legit or, or not. But again, from Jesus' response, it's clear that turning someone else in to make yourself look good, by the way, in the story just before this one in Mark's Gospel, the disciples look very bad. Turns out that in Jesus' book, turning someone else in for their bad to make yourself look good is not legit. In fact, it's downright sinful. People, right. What is up with people like them? This is people like us. We've got this neighborhood Facebook page, an example, which is a bad idea. If anyone's ever thinking about starting a neighborhood Facebook page, don't. We have this neighborhood Facebook page where people constantly post things like this. Who is the Neanderthal idiot who let their dog poop in the middle of the sidewalk and not clean it up? With close-up pictures and captions. And, oh my goodness, can you believe someone left three camel menthol cigarette butts in the grass along the common area? Real posts. And then, even better, the self-righteous glee which comes in all the responses. Let's find out who that was and have all of our dogs poop in his lawn. Oh, And cigarettes. How disgusting. Who raised these people? Now, no one likes poop on the sidewalk or cigarette butts in their lawn. And passing over a little bit the fact that it would have taken a lot less time to grab one of the little bags that is everywhere and remove the poop than to take up a close-up picture, crop it, caption it, and post it. And that there's something odd about someone not just noticing the cigarettes, but examining them closely enough to recognize that they were camels and that they were menthols. But why so much glee in discovering someone else's wrongs? And we all do this in one way or another. Do we really care about the misdemeanors? Or does it just somehow, for some reason, upset us that someone somewhere is getting away with something that maybe we're not? Do I care? Do I care about the moral fabric of the universe being rent and what could possibly be, uh, happen if that doesn't go unchecked? I mean, there could be poop everywhere. Or maybe, maybe it's much more that I just like attention being diverted away from my own offenses by drawing attention to someone else's. Maybe pointing out the bad guy over there makes me solidify my place with the good guys over here. Or maybe it's just plain jealousy. That was certainly it with, uh, with Joshua and the disciples. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's that we've somehow been tricked into thinking that life is one zero-sum competi- zero competition where everyone is in competition with everybody, with Eldad, Medad, Joe Exorcist, whoever's dog pooped in the sidewalk where everybody is in competition with everyone else so that anybody getting knocked down a couple of notches ipso facto means that I move up a bit on the leaderboard. Well, I could go on with that. I think you could too, uh, could as well, uh, to think about how that sort of turning others in, the glee from it, works in your own lives or in the lives of those you know best. But that's the first part. That's the sound like me, like us, response to those first readings. Second part. So that sounds wonderful. That's from the epistle lesson, from James. 
Uh, specifically, one, one line from There's a whole bunch of good stuff in there. He's uh, encouraging to, to praise together and pray together and all these sorts of things. But then right in the middle, he says, James says, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Now, now maybe like, like, like you, before you'd ever get to, now that sounds wonderful, just pondering it, you might think to yourself, uh, really? <laughs> were, were there really ever groups of Christian people um, or churches that actually did that? Like confessed their sins, like individual, specific, maybe even embarrassing sins to one another. We do this thing at the beginning of our worship service every week. It's powerful and poignant in its own way, the corporate confession of, of sins. But imagine imagine if one week I came in after the hymn, uh, flipped around, said, we'll do something a little different this week. Why doesn't everyone break up into groups of two or three, all right, and confess your sins to one another? Specific sins, shameful sins, the big, fat, stinky sins that only you and, you and God know about. Confess those sins to one another. I kind of doubt that that would go real well. <laughs> in fact, probably the, the main sin which would be confessed was the significant ill will that all of you were feeling against me for asking you to do such a thing. So why? Why is that? Ah, it still sounds wonderful, though, too. Uh, it, sound, it sounds wonderful, as, as difficult as it is to imagine, it sounds wonderful to, to imagine what it would be like to be in a community that was so vulnerable, so real, uh, so open, so uh, a place where everyone was so certain of their place that they could actually do something like that. Yeah, a little example, I've, I've been talking about this wonderful television show, which I think everyone should spend the $5 and get Apple TV so they can watch Ted Lasso. It's a wonderful show. Um, Ted Lasso is an American football coach kind of accidentally becomes the coach of a, uh, a football team in England, which means a different sport. So that's kind of the original uh, funny. But in this particular episode, um, Coach Ted is there with the rest of some of the coaching and managerial staff. They're ready to go out for a game, and they're all ready to do like the big rah-rah cheer, like, I don't know, go, whatever the name of the team is. But before they do that, Ted says, uh, hold on a second. I've got to confess something. And he says, a couple months ago, when I walked out in the middle of the game, it wasn't because I had a bad curry, like I told everyone. He says, because I had a panic attack. He talks about that. And everyone kind of looks at this, like, weird for him to say that. And they're about to go on with the rah-rah cheer, and then the other guy pipes up, Higgins, the general manager. He says, you know, last year when we missed out in that uh, top-notch forward from Brazil, it wasn't because another team offered him more. It was because I forgot what time zone we were in, and I missed the, missed the trading deadline. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And then the next guy, uh, uh, Brennan, says, you know, a couple games ago, those wild plays, that I, uh, calls that I made, it was because I was accidentally on mushrooms, which is a funny story in itself. <laughs> but, but they go on, all these guys confessing to one another, like out of the blue, and they're kind of looking at one another uh, strangely, and there's even tears welling up in their eyes, maybe even in the eyes of some of the viewers. Because they're recognizing that sort of thing, even though it was all wrapped and funny, that that sort of thing just doesn't happen. Uh, Ted and that little group around him, they looked at each other the way they did because they realized that what they did was something that doesn't happen a lot. And when it does, it is surpassingly cool, wonderful even, when it does. So why doesn't it? Which starts to get on to my third thing. 
of how can that happen? Well, if you're asking yourself why it doesn't happen, you probably weren't listening to the first part of the sermon about Mark and the Old Testament. The reason it doesn't happen is because it's really hard to confess your sins to one another when the another is one on the lookout for things to turn you in for, to hold over your head, to make them feel better about themselves, who sees themselves in a zero-sum competition with you for placement on the leaderboard. So how can it happen? How to overcome that? Here's a start. I was talking with someone the other day, um, and we were, we were mentioning how it's uh, uh, how your little kids sometimes say things um, that are wrong, but they're still really cute and strangely accurate, so you don't you don't correct them and on saying those things. And the particular example this this couple came up with um, said they're the little boys in preschool, and he calls the at the school the kids that are a little older the kindergartians. Get it? Instead of kindergartners, it's the kindergartians. I thought it was funnier than that. Yeah. <laughs> Kindergarten, see, it's like he looks up, they're, not, they're like, they're, they're, instead of the ones that are like, you know, are going to steal my lunch money, they're the, they're the guardians, these superheroes, these big kids that feel the school, the kindergartens. Well, well, you didn't think it was as funny as me. I have a better sense of humor. But it maybe reminded me of this one um, from the, some of my kids, one of them in particular, used to do when we confessed the, uh, the Apostles' Creed, we'd say it at night sometimes before bed. And, and we'd, uh, we'd say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Christian Church, and they'd say, the communion of sins. It's supposed to be the communion of saints, but it's the communion of sins. Wrong, but I would not correct it. In fact, we could still say it. Maybe we should all say that. Because it, it speaks of something true, that this idea that instead of that I've got my sins and you've got yours, I believe in the communion of sins. Like there's just one big bucket in which all the sins go. That James passage that I read, I didn't want to get too into the Greek and stuff like that, where it says, confess your sins to one another, it literally says, confess these sins to one another. It's like they're not even yours. It's not like everybody has a little bucket that they carry along. Just one big bucket of all the big stinky sins, all of them thrown in there together, so, so, so bound up so closely, the kind of stuff that makes Paul speak of one body in Christ, all of us so bound up together that not even our individual sins are our own, they're community property. Wouldn't seeing things like that, the communion of sins, make confessing to one another a whole lot less weird? Thinking of sins like that. Instead of all of us marching in here with our individual buckets, instead one big bucket at the, at the front where all the sins get dumped into, one big common bucket, so no one can be individually more ashamed of this or that because there's just one big bucket we together bring before Jesus to see him spread his arms, open his lips, and say again, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. Jesus, in those his responses to the to, to the disciples and Moses to Joshua, I know there's that, that all in this togetherness is in inside of it and behind it. Joshua comes uh, uh, to, to Moses. He's always afraid he's going to lose some of his shine. And Moses says, Joshua, there's plenty of shine to go around. You don't have to worry about uh, uh, taking off any of Eldad's and Medad's. No need to be jealous. We'll all have our time to stink. We'll all have our time to shine together. And so, so Jesus, when, when the disciples come to him, no competition. No, no, no competition for the favorite. Each and every one of you is my very favorite. There's nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. And I love you absolutely forever. 
And so what if Joe Exorcist is getting away with something? Wouldn't you like to get away with something? And hey, here's some good news. You have gotten away with something. In fact, you've gotten away with everything. Stop looking at Joe Exorcist. Look at me up the cross here for you. You've gotten away with everything. It's called grace and mercy and redemption. Stop playing the stupid games for competition. See all the sins in one big bucket, the whole bucket. See me, says Jesus, making all the everythings mine. So to summarize, all this togetherness stuff, someone prophesied where he wasn't supposed to. And when he did, we all did. Uh, Joe Exorcist uh, exercised without a permit. And we all did. One guy dropped a camel menthol. We all dropped a camel menthol. One of us pooped in the sidewalk, metaphorically. (laughs) We all did. One of us is forgiven. We all are. One of us is forever loved. We all are. One of us is graced, mercied, redeemed, washed, fed, and freed. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, Because Jesus doesn't care about our stupid competitions. Because Jesus cares only about making all of us his together. And so all of us together are those things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.